Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast. I am your host, Classic. And I'm Gypsy. And today we have a very special guest, Mikia Solomon. Did I pronounce that right? You got it. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for being here live in the studio. Appreciate it. Um, I I guess before you introduce yourself, I was actually reading about you and we have a similar background yeah. uh, in that uh, for those of you who don't know, I was actually born here in the U.S. and then I um, migrated to uh, Ethiopia, lived there for 10 years and then found myself back in the U.S. And I was reading your yeah. story and I'm like, I never find anyone yeah. like that. So uh, introduce yourself and tell yeah. us a little bit about your background. Absolutely. So, um, well, First, thanks for inviting me. This is awesome. Um, very excited. Um, so I am, uh, my name is Mikia Salomon. Uh, everyone calls me Mickey. Okay. Uh, so feel free to call me Mickey. Um, I am a finance professional. Um, I, I've been uh, in finance for 10 plus years. Um, you know, me as a human being, uh, I was born in the United States. Uh, I was born in Houston, Texas, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, and my parents moved to Los Angeles when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe a little under a year or so. And um, my mother, um, she uh, moved back to Ethiopia to take over the family business, uh, which mm. was which is a restaurant. It's a, it's a pretty popular restaurant in, in Ethiopia, uh, in Addis. Um, and, uh, you know, Part of that, the part of the deal was like I'm taking my son with me. <laughs> That'd be good for him f- from a cultural aspect. Yeah. You know, I didn't. You know, I, I was seven at the time, uh, and um, you know, I I I, um, I I didn't speak the language. Uh, I got there, and it was just like a foreign place to me. But were you excited you to know, go? Uh, shush, shush, I mean, this is this was a long time ago, but. <laughs> I think, I think at the time I was super excited. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, it was just kind of like this big adventure, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we moved there. This was, you know, this was like 1993. So it's a long time ago. Um, and a couple of years before, uh, the, the communist regime, you Mm. know, got, you know, they left. So things were just kind of like, um, there wasn't a whole lot out there <laughs> at that yeah. time. Um, and I stayed there, uh, went to school there for seven years. So did elementary, did uh, junior high. And then um, right before, you know, a year prior to going to high school, I just told my mom like, hey, like I think I want to go back and live with my dad. And, and so I came back to Los Angeles to, to finish high school. Uh, did high school here uh, in Los Angeles, uh, and then uh, moved to New York t- uh, to go to college. Uh, and I have family in New York. My, my mother's siblings live there. So um, straight out of college, went to to, to finance. Did uh, I worked at Capital One for a few years. Uh, then I met my wife, and she's born and raised in Los Angeles. So. Mm. After she graduated college, I told her to move to New York and we started dating and we got serious and she was like, hey, like my family's in Los Angeles, like I really want to go back to L.A. Uh, and, and so we were looking for something, but I found a really good job at B of A, uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, so I moved to San Francisco for a couple of years and then moved back to Los Angeles to do uh, graduate school. So mm. um, I came in 2018, been here since. So it's about to be five years this year. Um, and uh, that's that's uh, the short of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. that's very interesting. How did you get in? What inspired you to get into finance or business? Uh, I liked money. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I liked money, but at the same time, you know, I was exposed to it just like living in New York, you know, mm, yeah. um, I was exposed to it because, so, you know, as a part-time job, I worked at restaurants, you know, that mm-hmm. was like, if you had some 
semblance of uh, social skills and um, people just liked you, then working in a restaurant as a server, it it works out very well for you oh, from yeah. like a monetary standpoint, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was just, I was like maybe 19 or 20 and I was making a good amount of money. Like I was just like, do I need to go to school? <laughs> like this is good <laughs> cash, you know. Uh, and this was like in, uh, during the financial recession. So, um, I found, I got a job. I was like, okay, you know what? I need to like find something more stable because the restaurant industry is, is tough. Um, especially in New York, you know, yeah. um, the lifestyle is, is like, Hey, you work all day and then you come out and then you're so exhausted and stressed. You just go out to a bar and just blow it all out, you, yeah. all your money, you know? Like, all right, let me try to find a job that's more stable. So I started applying to uh, more like uh, executive level kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or like I, I would say more fine dining. Mm-hmm. And um, I found a job at Capital One, the, the financial services yeah. company. They had a restaurant in the office for the executives. So mm-hmm. when they bring clients, when they are doing interviews, they kind of wine and dine people there. And so um, I got a job there, uh, you know, and it was like a really good one. Like they were paying good money. The hours were like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. So, you know, after work, I could just go to school. So it was just, it was a very like convenient kind of a situation for me. And a strategic too. Yeah who you'll be networking with. Exactly, well. exactly. Mm. And that's exactly how I got my first job in finances. Mm. You know, there was, uh, you know, a, a, a me- she's, she was a mentor to me. Um, she was, I mean, at the executive level, the only African-American woman. Um, mm. And I just kind of build relationships with her. And by the time I finished school, you know, I just approached her and said, hey, can I get, a, you know, an in- internship or, you know, uh, anything, you know, to kind of just give me a shot pretty much. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? She's like, did you finish school? I said, yes. She's like, and she, she uh, I remember she called me into her office and she said, like, essentially, like, don't embarrass me. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, mm. I'm sticking my neck out for you. Like, show up, like, make sure you do a good job. And she connected me with one of her, like, direct reports. And, um, you know, at the time, like, I was so hungry. Like, I I was so hungry for an opportunity. They saw it, and uh, they just gave me a shot. And since then, I've just been uh, in finance. And so, um, yeah, that's that's my story and how I got uh, connected to that that opportunity. So... If you say you went to Ethiopia at the age of seven. In between seven and high school, you picked up a Maninya? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how, how, how fast did you pick it, pick it up from just living there? Or Yeah, you know, I would say probably in one year. Okay. In one year, I it was kind of interesting because um, when my dad came, so I moved in 93. In 94, my dad came to visit. And... I was so integrated into the society because at that age you're playing with kids. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, a lot easier. It's a, it's, younger. Yeah. When you're younger, it's like you're out there. Um, well, first you learn all the bad words, right? Like, yeah. you know, so I was talking a whole lot of smack. Um, but I remember my dad saying to me like, Hey, like your, your mark is, is really good, but you've kind of forgotten English. And it was true. Like I had kind of, taken a step back from like speaking English because it wasn't like, I mean, you go to school, you learn English, but when you leave school, you're speaking Amharic the whole time. And so, um, you know, my dad was a little concerned that I was going to forget English. Um, and so my first year when I got there, I went to the school called uh, ICS. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a very like, it's a very American school, yes, international, um, international school. Um, and uh, he took me out because it got really expensive. Like it's, it's essentially, it's like putting your, your, your kid in a school in the U S at a private school that costs like 
a lot of money. Yeah. You know? And at that time, it was college, a lot of money. College money. Yeah. yeah. At that time, I think my dad was paying like 10000 a year. Uh, this is like, wow. this is 93, 94, right? So, you know, now it's, it's probably even, probably double, but um, oh, yeah. he God. took, That's yeah, cool. he took me out and he, he put me in, uh, they put me in Greek school, which was also an international uh, school, but it was just like, it was, it was a, it was a good school. Um, uh, I met a lot of friends, uh, you know, very similar, like, who either like um, was were born and raised here and moved to to Ethiopia, similar to me, um, or people who were born in Ethiopia and were going to to the U.S. You know, during yeah, summer who were being groomed as well to go to college, go to college here abroad, yeah, or abroad or whatever the case. I went be. to Indian school. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My cousins went to Greek school, so yeah. we all kind of. Exactly. Frequented those. Yeah. Things. So that's kind of like, yeah. So the long story of it, it, that's the long story. But essentially, okay. I I had kind of picked up, um, just everyday kind of dialogue. I'm like even to this day, you know, I I can I speak to my mom and my family in Amharic, but if you ask me, like, I I feel like Amharic speaking Amharic of like day to day, and the Amharic, for example, you hear on the news. Mm-hmm. Or more in a professional setting, I can't keep up on that level, but yeah. I can have a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm more of a, I'm more of a like, um, and I I also know all the like the uh, the st- it's more of like the street language part <laughs> that I'm really good at. You know <laughs> what I mean? The yeah. slang, right? Yeah. Like that's that that is where I'm at, but I can't read or write or anything like that. I I can kind of pick up on like the the fidel the the alphabets yeah but i uh, outside of that like you know and then you forget it sometimes you know yeah if you don't use it my thing is like when i was there i didn't like how i spoke english in the accent so i didn't like use using english there and then when i moved here i don't like how i speak (laughs) so like i speak that as well and it's like it's it's a double-edged sword um but i don't get to practice it i speak it very well i mean no not speak it very well i yeah. understand very well and my mom speaks to me in Tigrinya and i respond back in english yeah. and that's how it works yeah. we understand each other perfectly it's just like i can communicate a lot faster in english than yeah. i can in i i i still you know one thing that i i always think about is that um uh Folks who speak Tigrinya, I feel like the families do a better job uh, teaching their kids Tigrinya if they're Tigrinya speakers. Because they have to, I guess, especially if you're living in Itopas, like you can only get it at home kind of and around your family because the country you live in speaks a different language. And then uh, you go to school and you kind of have to use English. Um, So at home... They try to keep it strictly um, Tigrinya. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I applaud. I applaud, you know, I applaud that because I feel like with Amharic, like, th- especially I see all my friends, they are not, like, if they're born and raised here, forget it. They're not speaking it. Only a mm-hmm. small percentage of people that I know yeah. born and raised here that speak Amharic. Very, very few, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like, uh, for example, you know, my son, you know, who's uh, who's joining us uh, at the end of March, uh, he, you know, it's like I at home, my wife and I speak English, you know, 100 percent. So we're going to have to be very mm-hmm. diligent and going to make sure like we se- we go to Ethiopia and make sure he understands, you know, the culture and can speak yeah. the language. Otherwise, it'll be forgotten, which, you know, is yeah don't want <laughs> i've picked up a little amount in you and that's was what i was wondering just from being there and you know embraced in it how long does it kind of take if you're really focused on picking up the language so yeah yeah that, that sounds about right after even after being here f- going on five years I'm, I'm starting to really focus on speaking spanish okay so i'm realizing okay yeah even just being here and being surrounded mm-hmm. in it I know that, yeah, I should be able to pick it up pretty fast. Yeah. 
and was curious on where I would probably be in a year, but yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it would even be uh, sooner. Let's say, for example, you guys just decided to go to, I don't know, Mexico City mm-hmm. for like three, four months. Not, not too big of a difference. Here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. In Mexico. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're <laughs> right. Yes, but like I've, I've, yeah. I have plenty of passengers, you know, of course. Yeah. I drive ride share, so I have plenty of passengers, only Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, and that it inspires me like, yo, if they're here and no, you know, speak no English, true. then okay. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, that's great. Do you ever see yourself um, living in Ethiopia or investing in it? Yeah. Um, so I had, so when I was in graduate school, I was kind of like, I had this blank kind of slate because, you know, it's when you go to business school, it's like, well, I'm trying to, most people are trying to pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh people from different backgrounds, uh, like professional backgrounds, like artists, they're, they're like, okay, I want to go into, I want to do a consulting for myself. Right. And, and so they go to business school and just kind of like pivot. And so for me, I was thinking the same uh, mm-hmm. when I said, okay, I want to like go and, and kind of reinvent myself. Um, and my second year COVID happened. And so mm-hmm. that kind of like screwed up my plans of, of, of kind of like I was really uh, attempting to move back. Um, my wife was on board. We were thinking about, okay, if we, you know, you know, just look at the opportunity landscape and say, okay, I've had this much experience. Uh, my mom's business is doing well at the time she was looking to expand and she's like, Hey, I only want to expand if you come over and, and, mm. and so I had that platform as well, not just the professional one, but the, uh, opportunity to, uh, take over my mother's business, which, you know, it's like, and if you've ever, it's not just Ethiopia, but like Africa in general, it's not an easy environment to do business, yeah. but I, for me, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting to me. Cause I'm like, if you can, if you know how to do business in Africa, you can do business everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, this would be a good time for me to go back. COVID happened. I was still trying. I was trying to look at the landscape, but the, you know, the older you get, you know, your risk appetite starts kind of like going down. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of what was happening. It's like, I just, I saw the window of opportunity and I was like, I need to jump now. And like, I was looking at it and I was like, should I jump? Should I not? Like, I've worked so hard. What if I go to Ethiopia and nothing pans out? Like, I, I just got into my head too much um, because it was just too much of a, uh, a jump at this point. Maybe when I was like, if I was 24, 25, cool but when you're 35 it's a little different you know it's like you're like okay i have a life i have to think about my family you know future and all this stuff uh and so i kind of took a step back and i said all right i i think for now um you know i'm gonna stay put not to mention the country was going through all kinds of you know situations so i was i was like not a good time however i have invested uh, there, uh, my time, um, I'm, I, I advise a startup there. Um, I've worked on a few other projects, um, because I do see the, f- the opportunity in the future. Um, yeah. so that's one thing. Every time I go there, it just feels like it, there's so much opportunity to untapped. do so yeah. untapped market. Yeah. Um, is there a certain industry you're, you are excited about or feel like is good in Ethiopia? Cause it's different than us. It's very different. And yeah. if you, a lot of people who, who have moved back, who try to take the same uh, business model or business plan here that works and go there have failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, the, um, the way you got to think about it is like, you have to adjust the way you kind of look at the, the business landscape and mirror, you know, yeah. essentially exactly what they do. You have to understand their lifestyle. You have to 
dig deep and say, okay, does it make sense for Africa? Does it make sense for the local market? And for me, the number one untapped opportunity is financial services uh, in my, and, you know, the reason why I say that is because uh, the access to capital markets, uh, access to just money, credit is still like a very small percentage of people who have access to that, to, to money. And so mm-hmm. the reason why the U.S. is what it is is because we have a very robust capital market system, you know, stock exchange, you know, we have that platform and people have access to money. Like you can yeah. just borrow money to credit. start stuff. It's yeah, it's fake. credit. Yeah. And so that there's a huge opportunity there. And I'm very excited to see what's going to happen the next few years. You know, they're opening up the banking industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that they're going to have, you know, when they open up the banking industry, because essentially the past 50 or 60 years, um, there, like the past 40, 50 years, I would say, there haven't been any foreign banks that were that were in the country. Um, they restricted it just for Ethiopian banks. And so obviously with that is that happens is that technology, right? If you're not competing, then why, why do you need to invest in technology? It is what it is. When we get there, we get there. Yeah. But when you have like these major, you know, African banks that are coming in and setting up shop and, you know, there's the also the, the the human resources, the human capital, right? They come in, they 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 train local Ethiopians how to run a business, how to like, and so that will elevate the economy, that will elevate the country to get to where it needs to get to. So all of that gets me excited. I'm like, wow, there's so much opportunity here, yeah. but they're just starting. So it's gonna take some time and. You know, there's going to be mistakes and um, there might be like collapse of certain industries or certain big banks and, and stuff like that. But because I'm in the industry, I, I can see like, OK, I can really see the opportunity. And and hopefully, you know, one day when that opportunity you know knocks on my door, you know, I can take advantage of it, you know, because essentially all of this knowledge, all of the skills that. I've attained, I think I want to go back and really like apply it there. Um, so, yeah. What are your feelings on um, the integration of blockchain in financial industry? And it's, is it's that next good level. thing or does that scare you? Is, what, what are your No, it's a good thing. On? It's a good thing, right? I think um, I first people need to kind of like separate crypto out of, out of blockchain mm-hmm. blockchain itself the technology is next level i mean it's going it's going to change how banking uh transpires uh across the world um you know a lot of people don't know but you know there's a lot of apps payment apps i'll give you an example there's a lot of like there's zelle um there's venmo there's cash app and all these you know, apps that are front facing and that technology on the back end is still a uh, technology that was built in the 19, early 1970s. Like they haven't changed it. It's the yeah. same system. Right? <laughs> I was just hearing the airline industry is the same way. Exactly. It's like they've been using old stuff. Exactly. It's and, and so, you know, they haven't because it takes one, it takes a lot of money to like, it works, you know, and what happens is like, you know, it's a bank is a bank. Like it's, it's, it's like, they don't have any competition. They do have competition, but when it comes to like large money movement, uh, it, it becomes like, they're the only players out there. And so now they're kind of like, okay, how do we, how do we make the system like move quickly? It's, it, you know, when you send money from your bank account to Ethiopia, you have no idea how many, how many hands it touches. Yeah. Like there's like, sometimes there's like two or three banks in the middle and everyone takes a piece mm-hmm. of that, you know, and like, 
okay, so you have to, you have to uh, pay your bank and then you have to pay a bank that is facilitating it. And then you have, the, then the bank in Ethiopia takes a cut. So, you know, that is so inefficient. And when you think about it at a large scale, sometimes you don't even have visibility. And then there's yeah. fraud. Like, I think the number was like $70 billion uh, through wire transfers were flagged wow. as fraud. Wow. It was crazy. 70 billion. 70 billion. <laughs> yeah. You and know. where does that money go? It, it goes to people who are committing the fraud. Yeah, so just disappearing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's so essentially what's happening is it's it's like, and a lot of times this happens where like, if you're a big company or even like a small company, someone will send an email saying, hey, you know, with the CFO's name, we'll say, hey, I really need you to send money like immediately, $100,000 to this account. And someone on, on the payroll staff will say, oh, shoot, he wants me to send, you know, $100,000. And so they'll send it. And then when they reconcile, they say, where's this money gone? Well, you told me to send it. And then they look at the email. The email is different. So someone hacked their system. So this happens Emails. all the time. Or even someone internally. Like someone on the staff says, you know, just, you know, uh, either uses a checkbook and just writes the you know writes a check puts it in an account and so it happens all the time people yeah. get in trouble because I think I've seen the, like the random email from or invoice from PayPal it happens and wonder oh, yeah. what is that about <laughs> yeah I always get those scam likely emails yeah yeah so um, I think blockchain has the um, I think it has the opportunity to kind of secure they haven't gotten there yet from an institutional level where they can make sure that like there are guardrails and checks and balances but they're developing that um and then there's the the visibility like when i send you money like one it's fast it's like it happens so quickly and then it's the okay like if some like you can actually see all of the transactions that you know between a network of of whoever's participating on that blockchain so um and it's I, visible for everybody it's visible for everybody so you know um my boss uh you know who my boss's boss's boss uh jamie diamond who is um i would say he's like the wall street kind of like guy who's always talking about crypto and how it's bad and it's this, 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 but he never, he always says blockchain is the future. And he's right because that's where, you know, the value is. Uh, that's my opinion. Um, I think that's where the value is from like, a, you know, making, making things work a lot more smoother, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah. When people think blockchain, they're thinking crypto, but there's also even the smart contract aspect to um, exactly and all of that so i've heard a few negative things on the the smart contract part almost like yeah. when like if the money is you know kind of held in escrow yeah what what happens with that as far as or does that like even when there's just millions just sitting there if, if this contract doesn't work out or there's some error that happens and then they're just like okay this money isn't you know it we're holding on to it and it, each party loses out. Is that going to be something that is just going to have to be a part of? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I don't know about like how that's going to work for smart contracts. Uh, and if you have someone overseeing it, it really like, it, it defeats the whole purpose of it being decentralized. So, cause it get pretty yeah. technical. Yeah, it could. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of regulation that's yeah. happened with smart contracts because, like, you know, with with the traditional ways, like, you have the legal team and all of these people involved to kind of make sure there's checks and balances, but, you know, you can have a lot of fraud in a smart contract. So there's, there's still a long ways to go in kind of yeah. securing what happens if you don't go through with, uh, with the deal, you know. So yeah. Still a long way to go. There's a, still a long way to go. I, I feel like 
maybe in the next five years, five to ten years, that's where we're going to be at. I'm more like thinking about this whole AI thing right now. Like, that's <laughs> blowing my mind. <laughs> not worried about blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking okay, us fast. Yeah. Since 2020, <laughs> they've really been taking us kind of fast on things. Like, like, <laughs> NFTs, and then it was... This and then it I was feel like else it was like happening <laughs> yeah. all along. They're just telling us about it when they're ready. It's like, or yeah. it's yeah. now coming to the mainstream. Uh, well, I, you're right because when I heard like when it launched, they said, "Oh, like the folks." The, it was like a forum of of like it was like Google, Elon Musk was part of it. It was just like a bunch of like heavy hitters that were funding mm-hmm. yep. this thing and. No, I didn't hear about it. It wasn't public. And then they launched it. And I was like, let me try this thing out. And um, I was like, I, I just put in a few things. I was showing my friends. They came over to my place. And I was like, have you guys heard about ChatGPT? He's like, nah. I was like, you guys got to check this out. So I just pulled it up. And then I started writing. Like I was just asking questions. And it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And everyone was just like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just recently started yeah, trying I, it, yeah. and it, it was pretty interesting. I just, yeah. I mean, you don't need. Last time I tried it. Oh, really? Yeah, like, like you don't even need to ask Google anymore. It's nah. a more in-depth way to search now. Absolutely. And, and the question that I have is, like, so, I I mean, right now it's flooded the Internet, but, like, they, so the, so it passed, like, the, a law, law, medical, and uh, one of the, like, w- at Wharton, which is, like, one of the best business schools, a passing exam, did, I heard, wow. pretty well. So how, like, these kids. That, though, because the the exam is made by people. And if it has that data, and of course, it would already have the answers to most of the questions that would be on the exam, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking like critical, thi- like that critical thinking that yeah. you need on those exams. Yeah, like I guess the human part, the human of it. piece of it, like that's kind of scary. But also, like these kids who are in school, like I can only imagine what they're doing right now. Like, I mean, it's one yeah, thing having like Cliff an Notes and <laughs> Wikipedia, but it's like yeah. Chat GPT, like. Yeah. Break down my answer for me. I heard there's like people even giving it code to write and it's yeah. I haven't experimented with that oh, yet, but man. I'm like, seriously. I gotta tell you about a funny story. When I came back from Ethiopia my freshman year, I had no idea what plagiarism was. Mm. So <laughs> the teacher gave me a project. <laughs> they gave a class a project. And I literally just went online, copied and pasted the whole thing, and I put oh. it in my paper, and I gave it to him. <laughs> he's, he just gave me an F. And, he was, and I was like, I went to my dad. I was like, Dad, like, I don't understand. Like, I literally, this is exactly what they were looking for. I gave it to him. I gave yeah. it to the teacher. Gave me an F. He's like, he's like, nah, you can't do that. You have to, like. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the point of school, then? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It's just like welcome to America, like that, because you know Ethiopia. We weren't doing that. We weren't even yeah. writing essays at that time. Like it was more. Everything was all about like memorizing. Memorizing. Mm. It was uh, a lot of like, yeah. It was a lot of like multiple, not multiple. It was. I was taking biology, chemistry, physics, all in one year. Like that's mm. the way they kind of do their thing, and so. They have you write all these notes and write and write and write. And then when the test comes, you have to memorize everything from front to back and write these kind of like open-ended questions, like just straight from the head. Mm. So it's like, and then you come here and you're like, oh, it's different. It's not easy. Uh, It's easier, but it's also like different because you have to use different type of skills. Um, But I guess what the teachers are teaching you they're asking for is different yeah 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 yeah. so to go back to your experience in new york versus um la you know what's your opinion on the quality of life living in new york versus la depends it depends how much money are you making yeah, yeah. I, I saw yeah. a video this morning. I'm sure it was parody yeah. of the girl explaining her $3,100 apartment. And, you know, she was just going, you know, basically the stuff that she was making, yeah. it seemed like it was working. It wasn't working, you know. And, and <laughs> so, yeah. 
explaining, I guess, what you probably get for 3100 in in a place like New York. I think it was Bushwick or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, New York is one of those places where you got to have, and this is my personal opinion, um, you got to have a, either you come in when you're young and you hustle. It's It's a place to hustle because the pace of life is going so fast that things are just constantly moving. People are moving from one place to the next. Like businesses are in that same sense, they're also moving very fast. So you have all these opportunities that pop up for you. And if you're hungry, then that's a place to be. That's why they always say, Oh, you know, you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I feel like that here, though. It's like, you can make it in L.A., you can make it anywhere yeah. in the well, U.S. <laughs> you know, but there's a certain hustle and bustle of New York. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 a, it's a bit yeah. different because everyone is just work, 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 work. It's like there's nothing else. And then it's winter, and you're like, all right, like, got to go to work. It's like here, <laughs> it's like at least, you know, I think – the quality of life here is, is, I feel like it's much better. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like it's as expensive. LA is, I, I yes. feel like as expensive as New York. Okay. Um, especially if you consider the car, mm. right? The car. And yeah. I say that because my wife and I share one car. Cause I'm just like, I, I hate driving like as you know, I like nice cars, but I hate driving. Right. Um, <laughs> And since I've moved to LA, I still have refused to get a car. I'm still taking Uber because Mm -hmm. I just want to live close to my workplace. And I just want to have, like, I don't want to think about parking, right? Parking is like, okay, got to go to work. I have to pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars for, you know, like parking at my office. Then it's like, what about tickets? What about gas? What about insurance? Like, I already got one car. Like, that's enough. <laughs> and, you know, if you kind of add all that up, it's, I mean, and the rent, you're kind of, you're up there. Yeah, uh, it might not there. be as close to New York, but it's expensive. Um, and folks are, you know, like, three-bedroom apartment will cost you, you know, six, seven, eight thousand dollars $8,000, you know, because... <laughs> I think the average I I read the average one bedroom in New York is four thousand. That's the average wow. one bedroom one, in Manhattan. <laughs> in yeah. Manhattan, okay. In Manhattan, how many square feet would that be? <laughs> Man, maybe, I don't even know. Maybe <laughs> six hundred. Maybe so. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's yeah. I mean, that's kind of like that's the kind of like life that if you're driven and you're not home, people are okay you know, living that kind of lifestyle for us, you know, we had a nice two, we had a decent two bedroom apartment in Harlem. Um, it was like, I was walking, I was literally walking distance from central park. I was like three blocks away from central park, but it was, it was like the, 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 uh, kind of the beginning stages of going into Harlem or like the, the, the tail end, I guess, of like going into from Harlem into West side, and, um, you know, I, I liked it because it kind of, as soon as the weekend came, we're kind of like out of like the craziness, like we're in Harlem. It's like, there's culture, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like, um, diversity and all that stuff. I, I, we got to a point where it was just like that hustle bustle life was just not for us. Like we were just like, ah, oh, you know what? I don't know if we can take, we can do this for another couple of years. And so, um, you know, you, people make that decision. A lot of folks left New York during the pandemic. I heard a lot, a lot of people end up in Atlanta and different places. Yeah. People are just like, you know what? Because New York is, it's a, it's about the social aspect of it. Mm. It's about people connecting. Um, and if you don't have that, right. And I feel like now it's, it's gone back to like, pre-recession levels but still like a lot of people just had that realization like do i need to be in the city maybe i live to move to new jersey you know maybe i live in long island or whatever the case may be yeah 
I'm still surprised at how many people don't really drive in LA. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. For a big city like this. I know. And it's just, it just, uh, I think eventually I'm going to have to, but I'm trying to wait it out as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't blame me. Traffic is terrible. Yeah. yeah, I know as far, or at least, you know, she always talk about uh, Ethiopia being a good place to raise kids versus mm-hmm. in America. What's your opinion on? I agree um, to a certain level. Like uh, at a certain age, I think it's good to bring them I guess it depends on the situation, right? If you're kind of like us, then I think at at some point you want to bring them back, you know, just because of the education um, and to integrate them into like if they if they're gonna be here, integrate them back into kind of like uh, society, if you will, uh, or it's not that Ethiopia is not society, but more of a like a you want them to to get exposed to different type of thinking, the education, all that stuff. You want them to be able to seamlessly go between the two cultures. Because exactly. I feel like if you don't get exposure to America by like at least 16 yeah. or younger, it kind of becomes hard to integrate yeah. here. And it doesn't have to be the U.S. It could be Europe too. Yeah. Um, too. I don't know. I find Europeans, uh, like if you, like Habesha, Europeans to... We're very, we're similar, but we're kind of different, you know. Like, yeah. so, but I I kind of like their perspective because they're more international. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that if I lo- think about my childhood, I wish I didn't come back until <coughs> I finished high school. And I tell my mom that all the time. I was like, I wish I just finished high school back home. Um, I think it would have been uh, better for me um, thinking like because. That integration, that first year, like, it was a struggle because it's like, man, you know, I came back, like, all right, I have an accent, you know, <laughs> kids are like making fun of you, yeah, yeah I call you African booty scratcher or something, you know, like, because I, you forget about it sometimes, man, y'all was and you hard see on people, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be racist, but especially black people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I watch videos of me when I first moved to America, and I'm like, I talk like that. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, and kids are not, man, they're terrible because they'll just, they'll let you know, you know, what you're. <laughs> Which yeah. you're deficient in. My <laughs> thing was, I used to listen to a lot of American music because yeah. um, I had a brother that lived in America. So he used to send us a lot of music and different yeah. things. So um, I had exposure to like hip hop and things and probably pretty young to be exposed to it. So when I moved to America, even though I had a thick accent, the music thing really helped me yeah. <laughs> a little bit because they're yeah. like, oh, you listen to all the music. So, yeah, that, that helped a little bit integrate yeah. me into the culture. I think the music was the connector. Yeah. The music, movies a little bit, but music, music was just like, different. yeah, I was constantly just, when I was in Ethiopia and my dad used to just record BET. Like this is when BET only <laughs> wow. had music, right? <laughs> good old days. I, yeah, I don't even days, know if man. I don't know what they're showing now, but back then it was just like music videos, music. It was that was it, and he would record it, send me a VHS tape, and then I would put in the VCR when it got when I when we got to Ethiopia, and then I would record it on a tape. So mm-hmm. I take that, and then when my mom used to take me to school. I just put it in the car and just listen to that. So I'm like, have you heard this? That's amazing. Yeah. So to, um, I guess, look at the differences um, with housing right now. We've considered buying, you know, a house in California. And I looked on, I saw a random list on social media that had like a top places of buying houses and things like that. How do you feel about as far as where we are right now um, in the world financially and as far as where the housing market is is going on, buying a house, even in California or different places or even like Ethiopia and stuff like that? Yeah, shoot, where do I start? Um, I still think 
Well, let's start with uh, let's start with L.A. because L.A. is expensive to buy a house. Um, I I would say that <clears throat> we're going into just kind of. I guess let me take a step back. If you look at like the macro environment right now, with rates are they're just continuing to hike them. The Federal Reserve. And obviously that impacts mortgage rates. Um, what we're kind of seeing is is that like it's cooling down the housing market, and which is a good thing because it's like at some point you could not buy a house in L.A. even if it was like it, like even if it was going for like let's say eight hundred k. You go you go bid for that house. There's twenty people bidding as well. That house just got sold for 1.3. That has been kind of like the continuous thing that was been that was happening during like 2021 and 2022, and essentially people who normal people who are not millionaires were kind of like you know pushed out of the market. Yeah. Uh, now it's like we're seeing like the rates are 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 high. People are who were looking to buy are, are kind of slowly coming out coming out of the market. The folks that were like who have money, um, who uh, I don't know during the they were just like going in and, and they were like bidding on these houses or whatever the case may be. Um, but essentially, like the the market in LA is is still hot. So it's like you're you're either gonna we're at we're at the like that point where houses house housing prices are still high, but at the same time people are still buying, and their rates are high. So it's like mm-hmm. you're gonna pay a lot of money for for the house, and the debt that you're taking out is gonna be expensive. So it's like, but it's getting better, meaning the housing prices are slowing down and they're coming down slowly. Now the best time to buy and it's like you have to be you have to kind of time it it's like when the prices go down and the rates start going down it's like you got to go buy because it's like that's the time where you gotta have to be able to to kind of balance that so it's kind of like a all right how do i find okay as soon as rates go down okay let me go into the market now and you have to just buy right away otherwise people start coming in they crowd, and even though the debt is not going to be as expensive, the house will be expensive. So now you're kind of like paying the same amount. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you have to kind of like be in tuned. Um, I think uh, in Ethiopia, the the challenge is is that um, it's the currency. Like if you go out there with USD, you're king whatever you know you're, you 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 have cash you you can but the issue is for for people who are living locally um you know the money is becoming like paper because the the currency is deflating like every year by like a high percentage there's they have really high inflation there and so a house that potentially could have could cost you like 6 million like local currency Next year will cost you maybe eight, seven, whatever the case may be. So it's like, it's one of those things. And then, you know, there's corruption and stuff like that. Like you want to build a house, like you have to have someone like boots have to be on the ground to oversee that. Housing. How much different is that from here now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but no, there's no like uh, credit system. I like there's yeah, not really a loan. Like you're paying up. Yeah, out front. Yeah, yeah you're paying up front. And yeah. I, that was once a bragging thing on a video, though, that I saw because they were saying, you know, at least when you buy there, you own it. Yeah. You know, at least if you can work up to get it, you know, most of the stuff that you have, you own. So it's not a loan thing. How they look in America, most people have everything on credit. So it's not like you really own what you have. You're paying on it. If something happens, it can be taken away. But a lot of people in Africa, if they have a house, it's their house. They paid up, yeah. up front for it's it. Caveats yeah. to that. Yeah, yes and no, because, so I'll tell you this. My my mom has a restaurant, as I mentioned, uh, when we opened up the call. Um, prior to, it's the same restaurant, but 
my grandmother, uh, she had the restaurant first. It was a family restaurant um, in a really predominant area. And uh, so here's what happened. They were trying to develop. They opened up this really nice uh, hotel, Sheraton. It's a very, I don't know if you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's I like, it's sure. huge. And it's it's really nice. Um, and the, the areas were. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, the area was uh, needed to be kind of developed. And. Mm-hmm. The government literally came to my uh, to my my family and said, "Hey, like either you guys are gonna have to like, and this is this they they fully own this. They say either you guys are gonna have to build or you're gonna have to sell. Mm-hmm. Like there's no other option. So there are instances like that that it happens. You know, yeah. um, you're in kind of this zone, right? Yeah. And you're like that happens, uh, and so you kind of have to like make moves. So they they sold it, and my mom opened her thing but essentially like it's kind of like those things where it's just like yeah you own the land but you're still at the mercy of the government you know and they can also be war and things like instability and you could lose your house and things like that yeah does happen yeah yeah so it's pros and cons but yeah you do have to if you're thinking about investing (laughs) in either like you gotta like have most things up front cash but yeah. nowadays there's like people are doing payment systems yeah and things like that is they're opening doing up that. they're doing that and as a matter of fact when i went back the last time i went was november 2019 right before covid mm. and i was uh you know i i opened up uh like they call it a diaspora account and it's essentially for ethiopians that are coming from abroad they they're like hey you know, open up an account, you know, we'll give you a high interest rate to save your, they want the dollars. So they, you know, they, uh, they facilitate that. And as part of that, they, they're, they give you like um, a financing thing where they're like, Hey, if you invest, you know, for example, a hundred thousand dollars, you know, we'll front like whatever that, whatever, you know, if you want to buy a house or something like that, they'll give you financing for that as long as you show income, proof of income mm. uh, in the U.S. Okay. So they, they're starting to do something like that to yeah. have, you know, now it's not like a 20% down thing. It's kind of like a, hey, bring 50% <laughs> and, and we'll give you the other 50% if you show proof of income and, you know, this, this, and that. So, you know, it's, it's a more of a, a strategy to bring uh, people back into the country and invest, right? Um, so it's, I think it'll work out for them in the long term. Yeah. Okay. So what's your favorite, um, Habesha restaurant in Ooh. Los Angeles? <sighs> Man. So right now, Lalibela is, okay. is probably my okay. favorite. They do a good job and Mesob. Mesob does a good job as well. Um, but Lalibela is like my go-to. Okay. Yeah. And I think I heard on one of the podcasts you had someone, um, she was Abisha, she was talking about um, how you guys were talking about the breakfast thing. I'm like, I don't know why they don't have breakfast, Ethiopian breakfast. Seriously, man, it just like it really bothers me because (laughs) there's a market for that. Actually, we lived in DMV and you if you've been there, like there's so many (laughs) breakfast spots. Even in Atlanta. Even Atlanta. Atlanta is awesome, too. But yeah, yeah, here they just really don't. Yeah, I think there's a market for that, um, and somebody needs to jump on that because if you do it well, you can clean up very nicely. Yeah, and I'm uh, like, and it doesn't even have to be with Ethiopians or Eritreans. Like everybody yeah, likes, it's open. yeah, yeah sure. everyone likes the yeah. food. So, yeah, maybe that's. <laughs> yeah, you make it more like you make it more like for everyone, not like a a very traditional one. Yeah, more open to everyone. Like so yeah, you can have do a like, fusion. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity. For Probably that. if you focused on coffee and have the breakfast. Yeah, because uh, Alana did a lot of that. Like they'll they'll reinvent some things to make it more modern or Americanized. Yeah. So it's yeah. yeah. 
I definitely. What's what's your favorite breakfast item? Oh, man. Fool For me, is mine. Yeah, I like, oh, I love fool. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a, so I am a meat eater. Like, mm. I like. <laughs> I feel like that's part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, I'm like, I'm just, it's a little too much for me like i eat a lot of meat so i think for me it's uh like i like i like a mixture of stuff not just one like mm. I, I like having the fur fur and the eggs and and the little tips and like i like having you you're know one of those people <laughs> what is the the meat combination <laughs> plates you know the, i'm actually not a meat combination person okay, gotcha. but the, I like when I go to Lali Bella, for example, I like having tips and control. I like tips. Mm. Right? Like, I like yeah, that so combo with some shiro or something like that. Yeah. Not the kidful, but the tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kidful yeah. is, <laughs> is uh, you gotta have uh, a, a very, you gotta have like, if if you're eating raw kidful, that palate, taste, huh? yeah, that palate has to be ready. Um, <laughs> is it really though? Like, I don't feel like it has such a strong taste. It's like, like sushi. When people think sushi, if you haven't eaten sushi, they think like I don't know what they're thinking, but it's some disgusting. Yeah. But when they try it, it's like it's it's, yeah, it's, it's not, not that like it's not that strong of a taste. So I don't feel like Kutfa yeah. has a strong taste to get used to. True. It's not like, um, what's that, sar- not sardine, um, anchovies or oh, something yeah, where it's, you know. Here's what I would say. I feel like it has to be done right. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do it right, it just looks like chopped meat, raw meat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, all right, like imagine just eating raw meat and you're like, okay, I'm just eating raw meat. But when you're eating like a kutfo that's well done, not well done, but like it's done well. Yeah. If it's done well, yeah. then it doesn't feel like you're eating like raw meat. It just feels like you're, you're, it just with the, you know, the, the butter and all that stuff that they add, it just feels like, it doesn't feel like you're actually like eating up like yeah. cow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it takes, I, you know, a little st- iron stomach almost i guess if you're with your, your mindset that you have when you're knowing what it is and when you're eating it yeah you're not, you know used to it yeah you gotta well my, my yeah, uh, prepare your stomach for it kind of exactly yeah i grew up watching the cow you know alive one minute yeah. and then he's hanging yep. you know skinned and <laughs> yeah till then they're offering you some raw meat so i'm like okay yeah they used to do that with the deer in mississippi Mm. Well, no, they didn't. We never saw it alive. Of course, they had yeah. to shoot it and then bring it. You know, but that was the yeah. Yeah, my my dad, uh, he's, you know, he got me used to eating raw meat, tresigas, uh, you know, in Amharic, at a young age. So you know, to this day, I still eat it. Like I don't. It's it's more of a delicacy kind of a situation where, like, once yeah. in a while, at a wedding or something like that. Right. I'll do it, especially with like you mix it with all the you know the, the spices you know and all that stuff. It tastes amazing, but I can see how <laughs> it looks on the outside. Like if you're like you're eating raw meat, like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like especially in California, it's like it's yeah. a lot of vegans and <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's it's definitely you know something in every culture that they have that you know. Yeah, that's there from tartar to tartar, yep. everything else. Yeah. The French eat tartar like it's nothing. Yeah, I love steak myself. I don't, I'm not a big, you know, beef eater, but mm-hmm. I went to Brazil when I was 15, so it's like there's a steak taste that's there and embedded that yeah. I'm like, man, I never. I just want to taste that same taste from then. They know how to make meat, uh, Brazilians. Yeah, mm-hmm. they definitely know how to do like. The Fogo uh, de Chao. I mean, I feel like that's more commercialized, but... Um, yeah, I kind of feel that way, too. But yeah, but I just like the... I went to... I remember for Valentine's Day, like, years ago, I took my wife to a Brazilian restaurant. Their food is so good. Yeah. So, you know, they know how to make... They know how to make good meat, steak, and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Same with Korean barbecue. I'm Same, discovering yeah. since I moved here. Because it was not that popular everywhere else. So it's, yeah, it's really good. Korean barbecue is big in LA. Yeah. 
It's big. <laughs> it's big. Yeah. Well, before we get ready to close out, is there any last questions that you had that you may not? Um, I guess let them know where they can find you. Yeah, I, uh, well, I'm not on social media right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I'm just taking Good for a, you. Yeah, I'm just taking <laughs> a quick break, you know, just to, uh, just figure out, you know, just I think it's always good to just take a step back, but I am on yeah. LinkedIn. Um, yeah. uh, my, um, my full name again is Mikia Solomon and, you know, M I C K I A S and you can find me on LinkedIn. Let's connect on a professional level. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, we appreciate you. It's been a, a, a magical moment. And yeah definitely you know enjoyed the conversation we would love yeah. to have you back yeah. in the future yeah, um definitely. working on some panel discussion type things and we definitely know you have a lot of great jewels to bring to the table yeah absolutely so we'd love to have you back yeah we'd be happy to yeah definitely and thank you guys for tuning in as always you can find us on any major podcast platform as well as americangypsy.com and all the information, um, uh, Mikey's information as well as ours would be in the description. And we also have consistent self-improvement shirts at luamlee.com. And we also have uh, crystals at bookabearwright.com or bookabearwright on wow. Etsy. As always, all the um, information would be in the description. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank Along you, Mikey. With my music, yes, K L A C C I K C A R P E N T A, classic carpenter on all major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, all of the above. Thank you again, Mikey. I mean, thank Nikki, you. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah. Consistent self improvement and peace. Peace. Peace.